Well, hello there. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here, the Eric Erickson Show. Can you believe my own show is named after me? Funny how that works. <laughs> Welcome. All right. The phone number is 877-973-7425. Uh, for those of you not in the South, uh, you, you, you are probably not aware of the phenomenon that we have. I'm in the middle of Georgia. We have third winter upon us. Last Sunday, so on Sunday nights, I sit on my front porch with some friends. Uh, we may move it up to 3 p.m. today and just have a do-over on Sunday. But uh, I sit on my front porch with some friends on Sunday night. We have some bourbon, have some cigars. I always cook something. We tend to watch sports. And last Sunday, it was about 75 degrees on my front porch at 7.30 p.m. And the temperature fell to about 60. This coming Sunday, it's going to be 25 degrees. Yes, wonderful, delightful weekend in, in third winter. Now, by next weekend, we will have first summer. And it will be in the 90s. And then we will go to third spring. Uh, and after third spring, we will have second summer. It's just the way it works. In the south. It is bizarre. We're all going to be sick. I'm already getting yellow all over my car. The pollen has begun in the south, and this is just the beginning of it. It's only going to get worse. I'm sure you all wanted to know. If I sound snoggy in the next couple of weeks, that's why the pollen is back. Now, I want to talk about the no-fly zone. Back during uh, the, the Bosnian crisis and the breakup of Yugoslavia. Yugoslavia was a country that was essentially had forced a number of countries together, often against their will, under the communist dictator Tito, who actually had fairly good relationships with the West, and he could have fairly decent relationships with the West because he was right on the Adriatic. He was north of Greece, a NATO ally, right across the Adriatic from Italy. In fact, he bordered Italy for a time when Yugoslavia was, and so he could be a little freer. But then the country began to break up, and you had the big war. Uh, you had northern Macedonia. You had Serbia, Montenegro, uh, Bosnia, Herzegovina, Croatia, Slovenia. Slovenia, Croatia broke away. Slovenia was the furthest away. They broke away. By the way, Slovenia, if you've never been to Slovenia, Slovenia is hands down one of the most gorgeous countries on planet Earth, if not the most gorgeous planet on, on planet Earth. And the people of Slovenia are the nicest people. Trieste, the capital, is one of the most gorgeous cities on the planet. Absolutely gorgeous. This this city, is, is the um, actually, I guess Trieste is Italy, um, but uh, go to Trieste in Italy. But uh, it, Ljubljana, the, the capital of Slovenia, it's just, it's... It's gorgeous. I'm looking on the map, but I see Trieste. It's like, oh, wait, a little bit outside there. But, I mean, I'm telling you, go to Trieste. It's gorgeous, and it backs up to Montenegro, or to, to Slovenia. And Slovenia is just gorgeous. Northern Slovenia, you got the, the Alps there. I just, my gosh, this country is phenomenal. The people are incredible. I love it. Croatia is great as well. Croatia is also the beaches of Croatia are fantastic. I mean, the, the whole part there, the northern, you're, you're very near Venice. All of that is one of the most beautiful, culturally diverse places on the planet. I love it. Um, but they, they were all part of Yugoslavia. It is Slovenia, Croatia, Bosnia, Herzegovina, uh, Serbia, Montenegro, Macedonia, now North Macedonia. 
And when the country broke apart and there was a big war and NATO came in, there was ethnic cleansing going on in the Muslim populations in Bosnia-Herzegovina. We established a no-fly zone, and it was American pilots would make sure the no-fly zone worked. And we could do that because Yugoslavia was a country breaking apart. And Serbia, though it got some support from the Russians, the Russians were too distracted by the collapse of the Soviet Union to really bother, and we were able to do this. And so a lot of people have said, hey, let's establish a no-fly zone over Ukraine, the largest country in Europe. It sounds good, doesn't it? Let's help. Let's do something. The perpetual call of just do something. And the, the just do something that they would like is, let's do a no-fly zone. There's a problem with a no-fly zone. We would be fighting Russians. It polls very well, by the way. Uh, polling, something like 60% of Americans support a no-fly zone over Ukraine. Now, most Americans don't know what they're talking about here. Uh, people are stupid. And you've asked all American adults, do you support a no-fly zone? Well, yes, we just just do something. Just do something. That, that's what they think. Um, if you ask the question differently, do you support using American fighter pilots to blow up Russian fighter pilots and possibly cause World War III? Yeah, they're probably not going to support it as much. That's what we're dealing with here. You want to put in a no-fly zone, what you're doing is you are going to war with Russia. And the Russians are just looking for an excuse to start World War III. Now, I, I got to say something on this, this point, though. Just because the Russians are giving us warnings does not mean we shouldn't do something. You know, Poland desperately wants to send uh, airplanes to Ukraine. They wanted to fly those planes to a U.S. air base and then have us give the planes to, to Ukraine, thinking Russia wouldn't go to war with us, but Russia would go to war with them. No, we don't want to do that. If they want to give the planes to Ukraine, give the planes to Ukraine. Don't don't get make our hands dirty in the process. But no. Look, I, I, I hope we can do something to help Ukraine. I do. But I don't I don't wanna I, I don't wanna get us more deeply involved in this war. It is possible to want to support Ukraine without also wanting to commit American troops to it. Now, if it spirals and they get into NATO countries, if they were to invade Poland, for example, then yeah, we would want to do something. It's very interesting that uh there was this destabilization effort against NATO and the Russians wanted to end NATO and now he's done nothing but revitalize NATO. I mean, the NATO powers, it's been a while since, I mean, I don't know that the NATO powers have ever really gotten along. We're going to spend a little more time on NATO here in a little while. I don't know that the NATO powers have ever really gotten along and suddenly we're all on the same uh, page of the hymn book. It's, it's remarkable to watch what Russia has accidentally done. Now, why is this happening? Well, uh, there are a couple of things you need to know from intelligence reports. One is that the morale of the Russians is very low. You can have like a, a, a um, butt-kicking team of soldiers, and if their morale is low, they're not going to perform very well. And the data out there suggests overwhelmingly that they are their, their morale is very bad. Not only is their morale very bad, 
it turns out that the Russian training was not very good. Uh, it turns out that the Russians running air sorties in Syria was no match for ground combat like they're doing in uh, Ukraine. If you remember the story, y'all may remember the story, maybe you don't. But a couple of years ago uh, in Syria, a group of American soldiers was stranded. It was American special operators, and they were stranded. And there weren't very many of them. There were only a few dozen. And they encountered the Russian army. Now, you should know what Vladimir Putin was doing was he was not saying it's the Russian army. He was saying it was mercenaries. So these were Russian soldiers, but they were operating as mercenaries. They were being paid by Syria, and Russia was just reimbursing Syria. But it was Russia's way of saying, we're not really involved. We're just running air cover. But it was a large contingent of Russian soldiers and a very small, highly outnumbered contingent of American special operators who decimated the Russians, wiped them out. It did not get a whole lot of attention because both sides were trying to downplay it. The Russians did not really want it known. And the Americans certainly didn't want the story to be that we had engaged Russia in Syria, so they downplayed it. But it's a true story. It happened. Uh, a highly outnumbered group of American special operators there to help the Kurds more than anything and to stamp out ISIS uh, were engaged by the Russians and the Russians got wiped out. That should have been the tip-off that the Russian military wasn't all up to it. Well, now uh, they've almost completely deployed all the Russians into Ukraine. They are trying to surround Kyiv. Uh, the Russian uh, convoy is getting closer and closer to surrounding the city there, but the, the morale is terrible. A lot of the Russians have been surrendering themselves. This isn't just the Kyiv propaganda. This is now confirmed by the Western Allied powers, uh, European, British intelligence as well. And now the British are saying that some of the Russians, they're already being replaced. They're already, we're only a few weeks into this thing, and they're already worn out and going home, and, and fresh recruits are coming. Here's the problem the fresh recruits are more poorly trained than the people they're replacing. So they may be able to get around Kiev. You know, one of the things that uh, the Ukrainians have done is natural warfare. This is something very common, it goes back to even before the Romans. Uh, the rivers are high. They've had a lot of rain. And so they've busted dams and allowed flooding into the Ukrainian countryside. Now, why? It's very obvious here. When you're north of Kiev, you've seen in Kharkiv and Donetsk and the, and the rest, the Russian military equipment is getting bogged down in the thick Ukrainian mud. It's just a natural thing. Hey, if they're getting bogged down in, in all the mud, let's make it muddy. And they're going to be forced onto the roads. And sure enough, the Russians are now being forced onto Ukrainian roads, and the Ukrainians are blowing up the roads. It's causing massive chaos for the Russians. This is supposed to be a well-oiled operating machine, and it's not turning out that way. The treads on the tires are rupturing. They're getting stuck in the mud. Uh, they're getting overheated. They're abandoning tanks on the road. Uh, we've been handling Javelin missiles. The Javelin missiles were designed to blow up Russian tanks, and they're working. Uh, one British estimate said last week out of 300 Javelin missiles fired, 291 of them worked to kill Russian tanks. And we've now supplied them with about 700 more. And the supplies have been able to get through. See, the Russians are trying to surround Kiev, but the western part of Kiev, it borders Poland. 
and we're able to get in uh we're able to get weapons into the Ukrainians through Poland now. The Australians flew over and airdropped a bunch of stuff by parachutes into Ukrainian territory. They were able to capture them. The Russian things aren't going well for Russia right now. And so the result, unfortunately, is that the Russians are going to get even nastier, uh, even worse. This is not yet over. And the odds, by the way, the longer this goes on, are frankly still in the Russians' favor. Because how do you get oil and gas to the Ukrainians? The Russians can get it for themselves. And they're trying to just wait out the Ukrainian supplies. That's going to cause problems. The U.S. and the EU today have stepped up and they've imposed further draconian sanctions on the Russians. Uh, some of the Russian oligarchs are starting to become more vocal that they need to find a way out of this. But this is this is part of the problem that Vladimir Putin has and why he's got to win. How? How do you save face? You've invaded Ukraine. You've claimed there are Nazis and you're going to denazify. Now you that hasn't worked, so now you're claiming biolabs. That's not going to work. How do you save face? Putin's got to find a way to save face. And that's part of the diplomatic conversations happening in the background now. How do you get Vladimir Putin to save face? And one of those is possibly to hand some territory to the Russians and say, call it a day. But Vladimir Putin even there is demanding that uh, Ukraine stay neutral and stay out of Europe and not join NATO, and they've already filed their application for the European Union. The European Union in Brussels has already begun debating on this. If they were to, they're not going to, they don't want to start a larger war, but they're very tempted to bring Ukraine in now. They're not going to, but this doesn't look good for Russia unless they wait this out. And the longer they wait it out, the more we ruin their economy and economic warfare here. And Putin is surrounded by sycophants and yes-men who aren't giving him the full picture. That He's not really figuring out what's happening on the landscape there. It's going to be interesting to watch this over the next week as this plays longer and more dead Russians go home. It's going to be harder and harder to convince the Russian people that this is just some sort of special training mission in Ukraine as their sons come back in body bags. All right there. How about we take some phone calls here? The phone number 877-973-7425. Gary, you're going to be up next. Welcome. Hi, Eric. How are you? Good. What's going on? Oh, I'm glad you brought up Colin Kaepernick because it brought up another joke of a person was Jesse Smollett. <laughs> what a, yes. Jesse Smollett is. <laughs> yes. I'll tell you what, I'm 65 years old, and it doesn't matter what color I am, even though I'm white. I've been working hard my whole life since I was 14 years old, never had anybody give anything to me. I was raised in an average, low-income family. Um, Dad worked hard, Mom worked hard, and they taught me, you know, the right way to do things. And here's a guy that was rich. Okay, I don't know how much money he had, but I know he had a lot, lot, lot more than I did. And me as a Trump voter, talk about being kicked in the face. And that's what he did. He just kicked us all in the face and he thought it was a big joke. Yep. You know, and not only that, but so many people were willing to believe him. So many people on the left, in the media, in politics were willing to believe. And to this day, Gary, thanks for the phone call. He still denies it. He still denies uh, that that he did it. He still denies his culpability. Absolutely, absolutely insane. 
Uh, Kimberly, you're next. Welcome to the program. Hi there. Hi. I have um, more of a question than I do a comment. Um, I remember back in the 90s when Bill Clinton was president, um, he was trying to get um, a loan from China. And I remember hearing something about um, having to increase our federal land holdings in order to for China to be willing to loan us money. And so he did increase the size of several of our national parks and even created a couple new ones, I think, in Utah. And um, in hearing you play the clip of President Biden saying, no drilling on federal lands, no drilling on federal lands, it reminded me of that back in the 90s. And I just wonder what the connection is between our increased national parks and um, Joe Biden and China and no drilling on federal land. All right. I'm going to have to research that one because I don't I, I don't recall that myself. I'm Googling it. Uh, it looks like China holds one point one trillion dollars of our debt. Um, foreign investors hold six point thirteen trillion dollars of our debt. Uh, we actually mo- Americans and American corporations actually hold the bulk of the debt. Uh, Japan holds the most one point three trillion. I don't recall what you're talking about, but I will dig into it and see if I can figure out uh, what exactly it is, what the tie is. Um, but what I do think that most people don't realize, uh, speaking of that federal debt, and it's something i got to remind myself of, is actually um, we, Americans, actually hold the bulk of the federal government's debt. Um, we do. Uh, so 1.1 trillion is held by China, 1.3 trillion by Japan, 425 billion by the UK, 331 billion by Ireland, 266 billion by Brazil, 265 billion Luxembourg, 251 billion Switzerland, 213 billion Cayman Islands, yeah, 213 billion by Belgium. Uh, but overwhelmingly the bulk of it, 20 trillion is held by American taxpayers. Uh, and various IOUs and bonds held um, in, in in retirement funds for bonds and stuff. Very interesting data there. Uh, but I'll look into this this thing. Well, I'll take your phone calls when we come back. 877-973-7425. And also, what is this deal with NATO these days? Hello there. The phone number is 877-973-7425. It is the Eric Erickson Show. Cross the nation. Let's go to the phones. John, you're going to be up next. Welcome to the program. Mr. Erickson, thank you so much for taking my call. Sure. If you can help me kind of uh, organize these little uh, finite fibers of my brain, all eyes are on uh, Ukraine and the travesty that's happening with the Russian aggression. I read somewhere that uh, the United States is now putting sanctions Now, we got refugees from Ukraine going into Poland, going in. They're they're just trying to get, excuse the language, out of hell's half acre. So they're trying to save their lives. Why is the United States putting sanctions 
on Poland and Hungary. Yeah, I can't digest this. Help me out. Oh, okay. So it's not actually us, although we are compliant with it. Um, it is is actually the European Union. Um, and they're not, it's not sanctions per se, although it's being called sanctions. They're cutting billions of, uh, euros from Poland and Hungary. And the reason they're close they're they're doing this is because of the way they're conducting their elections in order to get, uh, this money, uh, countries have to uphold certain European standards based on election compliance, uh, civil rights, the judiciary, the media, things like that. And Hungary and Poland have been getting a lot of money from the European Union, and a EU court ruling said that they weren't actually complying with the European Union's uh, essentially their Bill of Rights uh, as it conducts to free and fair elections and freedom of the press. So the European Court of Human Rights has ordered the EU to pull that money back. And they do this all of a sudden. Well, so this this case has actually been pending for about four years. Uh, it came out oh, four in, years, yeah, yeah. And now they wait until now. Well, so it was it was appealed uh, in February to the the high court in the European Union, and they just released their decision. It looks like at the the middle of February, right before Russia invaded, uh, they uh, February sixteenth is when the case actually came out. So it was before. The Russians invaded, but the case had been winding its way through the EU um, up to their high court over the last four years. Well, thank you very much. I was totally just blown away. I just like, oh yeah, uh, yeah. It, it's it, it's it's stupid, and 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 you do need to understand here that I'm, I'm trying to give you the facts here. I don't think it's a conspiracy tied to Russia. The problem here, though, is that Poland and Hungary, in particular do not want to comply with a lot of the, the woke socialist left-wing stuff that Western European countries have embraced, particularly in terms of uh, social um, social policy. So they've gotten rid of a lot of that, including immigrants. And so the Western Europeans have come after Poland and Hungary for that. Now, to be fair to the Europeans as well, John, just keep in mind, uh, Poland has curtailed uh, right, freedom of press rights, as has Hungary, and they have curtailed the ability of outside groups to come in and observe elections, both of which are required in order to get the money. But yeah, the timing is ridiculous, particularly in light of everything else going on. The money specifically, though, was not about refugees or anything like that. They'll get money for refugees. They just can't get money related to propping up their election systems and things like that and their judiciaries and stuff like that from the European Union. But yeah, um, it, it's, it's kind of dumb. Uh, the phone number here, 877-973-7425. Let's go to Jeremy. You're up next. Welcome. Hey, Eric. How you doing? Thanks for Great. taking my call. Sure. Um, so I have a, a question regarding the economy and also the housing market uh, combined. So me and my wife are in a position now uh where we could make approximately, let's just say about $200,000 if we were to sell our home right now and be able to pocket that money. So my question is, do you think if we are headed towards a recession, I personally kind of think we are with the rate things are going. So if we cash out now, you know, just kind of hide our money or whatever, you know, just put our money to the bank and set it aside and rent a home for a few years, um, and then possibly purchase another home in three or four years at a 
um, you know, and just be be set better, basically, for retirement and things like that. Um, well, okay, so I'll, yeah. I'll tell you one, I'm not a financial advisor. Um, you, you should reach out to my buddy David Nicholas if you're in, in Atlanta. Um, he may be able to help you. I will tell you, I do think we're coming to a recession. And typically, it's about a, a within a year of the Federal Reserve raising interest rates, you tend to see one. So I would probably say by this by this time next year, we if not sooner, we will probably be in a recession. Now, I, I will tell you, Jeremy, my wife and I, we got a cash offer in our house the other day. And about where you are, it'd be about a $200,000 profit on our house. And it was very, at first I thought it was a scam. It was one of those those just unsolicited things. Somebody called called my uh, cell phone and I thought it was a scam, but the, but it was legit. And I was thinking, you know, we could get $200,000. And then I started thinking, where the heck would we move? There are no houses for sale unless we wanted to pay like right. five times more. And we're not going to rent right now with two kids, sure. a dog and all our crap. Um, so we're not in a position to do that. If you are and, and you want to put that money aside in, in safe investments, um, it may be something you want to consider. But I would definitely talk to an actual financial advisor more than me. I will tell you, though, I agree with you that we're headed into a recession. I do not see how we get out right. of this economic turmoil, particularly with interest rates going up. Uh, in fact, I'm Googling here, Jeremy, while we're talking, and I don't think I can find a time that we didn't enter a recession within a year of interest rates going up. Right. Yeah. And and my wife is a realtor as well. And we keep watching, you know, we got our home in a two and a half percent interest rate. And, you know, we're just steadily watching the interest rates climb and knowing how long my wife has been in the in the business. And we just kind of see it coming. So yeah. we're just we're just really thinking, you know, should we cash out now? Because I'm afraid if I don't cash out now, let's say the economy tanks a couple of years from now, we go to sell the house. We would make more money now than we will a couple of years from now. That um, is true. Now, granted, like, granted, like you say, if you buy a home right now, you're going to pay, you know, obviously a lot more money really than than what it's worth. Let's just call it like it is. Uh, yeah. But we could rent a home for a couple of years or whatever and then, you know, buy another house, um, you know, if the recession hits and, you know, we could buy a house out of you know, foreclosure at the courthouse steps, you know, yeah. and get a really good deal on a house in a few years from now. So, well, I, look, I, I am probably not the guy to, to, to talk to about that. Um, if you are in the Atlanta area, my buddy, Dave Nicholas, um, he's who I try to talk to these things about. Um, uh, you may want to call, I guess it's, it's Nicholas financial management. Um, he, he's, I, I've known the guy for years. Um, if you don't have somebody, but there, there are tons of people out there the better than me right. to talk to, but I, I, I gotta say, uh, one, I appreciate the phone call and two, I think your gut is right that, yeah, we're headed into a recession. Now, the other thing you got to think about too, though, is if you sell out now for a profit and then you get into a new home later, uh, what are the interest rates going to be and how does that affect, uh, your profit and all these are uncertain times y'all. I, I, I can't, um, cannot express enough that having someone you can talk about these because I'm not a financial. I used to, you know, it's weird. I used to be able to process this stuff. And it's like I got so focused on I'm just going to be really good at radio. It's kind of like all this other stuff had to fall out of my head. Uh, and that becomes a problem. Um, so definitely find somebody to talk to. I, I always have to talk to somebody about this. Bill, uh, you're going to be up next. Welcome to the program. Yeah, how are you, sir? My name is Bill. Uh, I really enjoyed your show since I've uh, been listening to it since uh, Mr. Limbaugh passed away. So really enjoy it. So thank you, sir. Thank you. Uh, 
I just wanted to uh, – we were talking about NATO and talking about the, the MiG-29s that were available from Poland. Uh, I understand the no-fly zone. agree with you 100%. I saw uh, the problems that came with no-fly zones in Iraq and in Yugoslavia, former Yugoslavia area. But what I disagree with is that I think that we should have accepted the MiGs Uh, turned around, and you don't even have to issue them out, but at the same time uh, have something else within our hands or something to show our resolve, the capability to escalate further if we needed to. Not that we want to, but I see the economic sanctions. We're going to start running out of cards to play. And, uh, you know, hopefully we never have to use them, but at the same time, uh, you know, the president just finished saying that there would be severe repercussions for chemical use that's one other tool that we have in the toolbox. We don't have to use them tactically, operationally. It may not even make a difference, but it's one more tool in the toolbox to be able to respond, uh, you know, if something in- increases. And uh, I think it also shows to Putin that we have the ability to respond, but shows our resolve. Hopefully we never even have to issue them out. But I think Poland also wants to be able to make it, instead of a Polish issue, them donating aircraft, spread it around. It is a NATO resolution, NATO uh, you know, donation, instead of just singling out one country. Um, I'm just curious what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, part. look, I, I think you, you, you make a, a reasonable point there. One thing that I am noticing about Joe Biden is he keeps saying, uh, we're not going to do anything, we're not going to engage, and all of our options are off the table because we don't want to start the war. But we'll do something, by God, if if if, if you escalate this, Putin. And, and Putin keeps escalating, and we keep saying, not yet, not yet, when. Um, I, I'm sympathetic on the Jets. I just don't know why Poland wants to fly them to a U.S. NATO base and have the Ukrainians show up there and get them as opposed to just just take let the Ukrainians come there and get them. I mean, by the way, I, I do think it's worth noting, Bill, and, and you do raise a, a point here that I think needs to be amplified, is the Secretary of State of the United States, Anthony Blinken, agreed to the deal, said, yes, let's do this. And it was Joe Biden who personally vetoed uh, Poland being able to give the jets to the Ukrainians because he's so scared of looking like we're escalating. You know, and this is this is one of those things where when you keep giving the bully your lunch money, uh, at some point you are going to have to stand up for yourself, but the bully's going to keep escalating because he knows every day you're going to hand over the lunch money. And right now Vladimir Putin knows every day Joe Biden is going to hand his lunch money. Uh, at this point, we've got Putin giving Biden swirlies in, in the urinal and Biden's still like, I'm not going to do anything. I'm not going to do anything. I mean, at what point do you finally do something? Uh, so yes, uh, yeah, Bill, I gotta say your, your point is completely sound there on, on the planes and, uh, taking everything off the table while saying we're going to do something doesn't seem to be very persuasive to Putin. I think Putin's got Biden kind of played on this right now. Which is frustrating. Yes, sir. Uh, and, and you know, look, and look, I'll let you go there. I appreciate the phone call. One of the issues I find very notable in the polling is that a lot of Americans say they have Joe Biden's back on Ukraine, and we should. We're in a foreign policy crisis. He's the president of the United States. He is our president, all of ours, whether you like him or not. We should have his back standing up to Russia. But he's not really standing up to Russia. I feel like you've even got Anthony Blinken, who's terrible, is kind of pushing Biden forward, saying, be tough, Mr. President. And the president's like, ah, maybe next time. What? Just tell him, tell Joe Biden, somebody go to Joe Biden, wake him up from his nap and say, Biden, corn pop has invaded Ukraine. Then he'll take a stand. 
Start calling Putin corn pop and Biden will grow a spine. Dan, you're going to be up next. Welcome to the program. Hi, Eric. I'm calling because uh, I'm thinking in terms of the planes, actually, much like your last caller was saying, um, can understand these uh, or not understand, I guess, some of the um, hesitancy to get involved in with aircraft and so forth. But really, I think all Ukraine needs to do is finally unleash their secret weapon, you know, in a couple of hangars near their western border with Poland. I think there's a couple old A-10s that we refurbished took our sophisticated comms out, but they'll still bust tanks. And if they fire those up and uh, fly them over, uh, you know, towards some uh, tank columns, uh, those guys are either going to be smart and uh, disembark quickly, um, or they're going to be mincemeat. uh, Because we all know uh, armor can't stand up to those things. Um, They have a high survivability. I I, I got to ask you a question here. Do you, like, get fixated on YouTube videos of the A-10? Because I just, I, I mean, I'm, like, getting heart palpitation. I love the A-10 so much. Um, I want to fly one one day. <laughs> well, maybe they'll, maybe we should start, you know, if we found somebody with one, they could do a, you know, demo uh, fly for fun or ride along down by the yeah. Atlanta airport or something. But, yeah, no, I don't have as much time for, for those videos, but, um you know, but you're I right. I, I, I didn't realize we had given Ukraine any of our, because we've been putting them out to pasture. I didn't realize they had any. I knew we've, that we'd be giving them javelins, and we won't send them Patriot batteries because it requires U.S. troops to operate. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, mm-hmm. we've been sending them a lot of stuff over there. We, we need to keep arming them. And, man, if they had A-10s over there. Dan, look, thanks for the phone call. Yes, uh, they need to unleash the A-10s. Have you all ever heard the story? Essentially, uh, General Electric made this just giant Gatling gun. This massive Gatling gun. And in their head, uh, General Electric thought, we'll mount it to a tank. And the military came in and said, hey, why don't we build an airplane around this Gatling gun? It is a Gatling gun with wings. It is the most incredible thing. And a buddy of mine uh, who was an A-10 pilot texted me last week. You know, they keep talking about this massive, massive uh, miles and miles long uh, Russian convoy headed to Ukraine or headed to Kiev. And he says all he can think is uh, when he's in his, w- would it be in his A-10 uh, if he could gun those things down that, that he doesn't even need Viagra thinking about that thought. <laughs> I mean, it's an A-10. Those things are, if you've never seen an A-10 firing, gosh, get on YouTube and just watch one of the videos. They're incredible. And I can't believe we're putting them out to pasture. This hour of the program brought to you by First Liberty Building and Loan. They are in Noonan, Georgia, but don't let that deter you, even if you're in Alaska listening to this program. And I know we have listeners in Alaska. I see you on the live stream. Welcome. Uh, They can help you. If your business needs to grow wherever you are in the U.S., they've been doing this since the early 90s. They can help your business grow. All you do is go to firstlibertyga.com. That's their website, firstlibertyga.com. You can get their contact info, spend 10 minutes with them, See if they're a good fit for you, you for them, and uh, away you go. Just tell them I sent you, firstlibertyga.com. All right, I, I, you know, so I want to spend just a moment here very specifically on the Tucker Carlson issue because he's getting blown up by uh, people who hate Fox to begin with. They don't like Tucker. They don't like his prominence. I like Tucker Carlson tremendously. I don't always agree with him, but I, I like him tremendously, and, and, and I'm sympathetic to the way he sees things. If you will recall, Tucker Carlson worked for the Weekly Standard. And the Weekly Standard was Bill Crystal's magazine, and they were very much pro-Iraq war. And Tucker was very pro-Iraq war. 
and largely because of weapons of mass destruction, chemical, biological warfare weapons, and it was it was sold as as an easy war, and it got worse and worse and worse, and more and more people died. And it turned out the intelligence was wrong, the data was wrong, uh, the briefings were wrong. Uh, some of the people knowingly lied. Some of the people just made terrible mistakes and got it all wrong. And Tucker Carlson went from being an interventionist to an isolationist. And how can you blame him? And he sees the world now not as trust but verify, but as distrust and verify. So when the experts come out and say all these things about how uh, we know all of this stuff and intelligence says, well, that's what they did in, in the Iraq war. And Tucker Carlson doesn't believe them anymore. And he's become very anti-establishmentarian. And when everyone, when the collective wisdom goes in one direction, Tucker now goes in a different direction because it used to be that Tucker was leading the parade of conventional wisdom. He would be there with them, and particularly when it came to foreign policy. And he has now essentially, I guess, repented in his mind. I don't want to be psychological about it, but he now is deeply skeptical when the government and the intelligence says something. And so what he's doing on television is he's raising the questions and the conflicts. And usually there is a way to get those conflicts reconciled, but he's not going to do their job for them. Unfortunately, there are a lot of people who aren't very smart who listen to Tucker Carlson. Uh, who who are sympathetic to the Russians to begin with, and they listen to Tucker and they s hear him say he's pro-Putin, and he's never said that. He's pro-isolationist. He doesn't want us interfering in other people's matters. But these people who aren't as bright interpret it as we should be on Putin's side, and that's where the problem comes from. It's not Tucker. It's the other people. Have a great weekend. It's 2022. Things are still crazy. Things haven't settled down. And now you got the Federal Reserve and interest rates. You got the economy. You got inflation. A lot of banks won't even return your phone call. Let's say you're a small business and you need a loan for $750,000 or higher. You see an opportunity where banks, they don't even want to see you. You want to buy a building. You want to build a building. Reach out to the Frost family at First Liberty Building and Loan. They've been helping small businesses become big businesses since the 1990s. They want to help you if they can. So spend 10 minutes with them. See if you're a good fit for them and they're a good fit for you. Their website is firstlibertyga.com. That's firstlibertyga.com. Again, you need a loan, $750,000 or higher. You're a small business and you see an opportunity to grow. Share it with the Frost family and see if they can help you. Firstlibertyga.com. That's firstlibertyga.com. First Liberty Building and Loan can help businesses nationwide become bigger businesses.